Well, good morning, church. If you believe God is faithful, would you say amen this morning? Amen. And I hope that was a good message for you. Today, we're going to continue in our series called Winning, Getting Game Ready. And so I want to kind of qualify and go back to this idea of winning. I don't want you to come in and leave thinking this is some kind of prosperity gospel because it is not. So let me, let me clarify what we mean by winning. When we talk about winning and spiritually winning, we're talking about experiencing those spiritual victories where God works in us and through us for his kingdom and for his glory. So when we talk about winning throughout this entire series, what I'm talking about is those spiritual victories that you and I get to experience when God works in us and through us to bring honor and glory to him, his name, and to his kingdom. If you understand that, say amen. amen. So we're going to talk about if we're going to win, we've got to be game ready. Like many of you, how many, I mean, how many, is anybody here fit into your high school jersey? Let me see your hands. Anybody? Okay, there's two of you. And you might want to upsize, but that's okay. There's a couple of you in here that could do that, right? I couldn't even pull probably mine over my chest. And so, you know, so when you, when you played in the game, whether, whatever it was, did you just show up and expect to succeed? No, no, no. You had to be game ready. There were things that had to happen before the game so that you could guarantee or you could at least impact whether you were going to win or to lose. And the same thing's true for us spiritually. If we are going to spiritually win, if we're going to experience those spiritual victories in our life where God uses us in a powerful way, we've got to be game ready. And so we said last week that where that begins, getting game ready, where it begins for us is by looking at how we are positioned. And if we look at our lives, we got to go, am I positioning myself to win or am I positioning myself to lose? And last week we looked at Psalms chapter 1, and we saw that there's really two positions you can take. You can either position yourselves with, wrongly with the wicked people who want to speak into your life and want to take you away from things of God, or you can rightly position yourself and make sure that you're meditating on God's Word day and night and delighting in His Word to humanity. And if you're going to position yourselves to win, we've got to either rightly position ourselves or acknowledge that we are wrongly positioned. And so last week, that was a challenge. How are you positioned? See, for many of us, and I, I want to go back to something that kind of sets us up for today. For many of us, we look at our lives, we look at our marriage, we look at our finances, we look at our parenting, and we go, how in the world did I get here? Anybody ever felt that way before? Sure you have. I can tell you how you got there. You have positioned your life to get the exact results that you're getting right now. That means at some level, it's on who? It's on you. It's on me. Where I'm at in my marriage, listen, is a direct reflection of the path that Doug has been on. Where I'm at in my finances is a direct path that I've been on. Where I'm at in my relationships is a direct path. So if we don't like what we're seeing, maybe we need to go back and reposition ourselves so we can experience those spiritual victories. And church, say amen to that one, right? Now, today we're going to look at something else. We're going to take a look at the second thing that we've got to do if we're going to be game ready, and we've got to identify, are we going to be a player in the game of life, or are we going to be a spectator in the game of life? 
Now, um, before I moved here, I was pastoring a church. We planted a church, I was pastoring, but I had the awesome privilege of coaching junior high football. That was seventh and eighth grade. And my last couple years there, I got to be the head coach for eighth grade, and I loved it. Now, eighth grade, if you don't know anything about junior high football, typically you try to get as many kids out there as you can so that they find out whether they like football or not. So eventually, when they get to high school, hopefully you're feeding into a program where they can enjoy it. That's true of every sport. So in my, when I coached, the last year I coached eighth grade, we had 77 kids come out for eighth grade football. Now, how many of you put on the field at one time? Not a trick question. How many you put on the field at one time? 24. Well, uh, yeah, if you have both teams, you have 22, right? So 11, I got 11 players I can put on the field, but I've got 77 on the sidelines. And I remember our team was really, really good. It had nothing to do with the coaching. We had like so much talent. It was incredible. So we were like blowing people out all the time. We were even not trying to score and we were still scoring. And so I remember there's a couple of games when then we would get up three touchdowns. The rule of thumb was we start putting everybody else in the game. Everybody gets a chance. I mean, not everybody gets a trophy. Don't hear me say that. But everybody's going to get a chance to get in the game and to play. And I'll never forget, we were playing Sykeston, Missouri, which you don't know anything about that. They were known as the Bulldogs. And so we were winning by four touchdowns, and we're trying to get everybody in, even our fourth and fifth string people are scoring on their first string team. And so it's bad. And so I remember, I'm trying to go through the list. I've got a big list. I go down, there's this one kid who hadn't gotten in the game yet. So I call him over to myself, and I won't tell his name because one day he might watch this. I called him over. I said, hey, man, I said, it's time for you to get in. You're going to be the right tackle. We're going on offense. You got it. And he looked me right in the eyes and goes, coach, I'm fine right over here. I'm fine right over here. No, 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 you, you understand. We, we're winning big. And I, look, even if you, all you've got to do is just hit the guy in front of you. You don't even have to know what play we're running. Just hit the guy in front of you. And he looks at me with like these big eyes filled with fear. He goes, look, look, coach, really, I'm good right over here. And it dawned on me, there's some players who are completely content with having the jersey that never have a desire to get into the game. You ever known somebody like that? And I just wonder, is that not also true of us spiritually? There's some of us who wear the brand of Christ, but we're completely content spectating from the side and not really getting in the game of life and living for Christ. There's some of us that are okay with that. In fact, Kyle Edelman wrote, Edelman wrote a book many years ago called A Fan and a Follower. And that's kind of the terms I'm going to use this morning because what we find out is that there's many of us that were completely okay with being just a fan of Jesus, just being a spectator, sitting on the sidelines, being an enthusiastic admirer of all that Jesus has done, but never really getting into the game. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that when you read God's word, Jesus is not looking for fans. Jesus is looking for followers. He's looking for people who are willing to get off the sidelines, out of the bleachers, and into the game. Yes, there's injury on the field. Yes, there's difficulties on the field. Yes, there's confusion on the field. And yes, there's going to be sweat and tears and maybe blood. And yes, there's going to be all that stuff. But he's looking for people that are willing not just to be a fan, but to be a follower. And so the question today that I want you to think about is, which one are you? Are you a fan? Man, I'm an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus, but I'm completely content right over here in the sidelines or right over there in the bleachers. Are you really a follower of Christ? Now, to answer that question, here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to look at a passage of scripture, and we're going to see the heart of a fan, and we're going to see the heart of a follower and hopefully you can decide which one you are. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 6 is where I'm going to be this morning. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. 
Now, the passage we're going to read is very, very lengthy, so I'm not going to ask you to stand. But as you turn to John chapter 6, I want to give you a little background to where we're going to pick up in the story. It's one of the most popular stories in all of Scripture, the part I'm going to tell you. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, as you know, Jesus was teaching one day, and they realized that they had been teaching late into the day, and these people are hungry, and they had no food to feed anybody, so they grabbed some kid's lunch, and there was five loaves of bread, and there was two fish, and Jesus did one of the greatest miracles that we could ever have experienced in the New Testament is when he fed the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves, right? You believe that this morning? Some of you are like, now, so would that be a great miracle to be part of? Well, let me make it a little better. I mean, they took, I mean, let's just think about it. There's almost 200 of us in the room. Could we feed almost 200 of us with five loaves and two fish this morning? No, no, we could not, right? Even if you were like quartering it up, really, because if you read scripture, here's what you find out. They just didn't feed 5,000 men, our people. If you go back in that day, there was 5,000 men, and the men were only ones counted. Sorry, ladies. Sorry, kids. That's just the way it was. 5,000 men, which means you have wives, you have kids. So probably somewhere between 12 to 15, 16,000 people Jesus fed with two fish and five loaves of bread. And he didn't just like ration up going, okay, Drew, I'm going to give you about the size of my fingernail. I hope that works out for you. That's not what he did. The Bible says that they all ate to what? They were full. Now, just look around the room for a little bit. Everybody look around. That's a lot of fish, isn't it? For some of us to get full, that would take a lot, wouldn't it? How many of you like fish in the room? Okay, so it would take a lot of fish, right? And so, I mean, he's, not only did, listen, not only were they full, it said they had baskets left over. So here Jesus is, he's taken two fish, five loaves, and he's multiplied to where all these people, 12 to 15,000 people, have all eaten, and they are full, and they are satisfied, and now they have all these baskets left over, and Jesus tells the disciples, hey, listen, guys, you guys get on the boat, you go across the other side, I'm going to stay, and I'm going to pray. And all the people notice that Jesus did not get on the boat with them. And later we know the story where Jesus gets out after he prays and he walks on water and he goes and reunites with his disciples as they make their way to the other side. And that's where we pick up the story. Look at me in verse 22. On the next day, so he's just fed the 5,000, morning has come. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. It says this, verse 23. Other boats from Tiberias came near to a place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now here's the story. Jesus just fed them. This incredible experience. This incredible miracle. And then the next day comes, and they're looking, and nobody's to be found, and they have this one conclusion. Listen, we need to go find Jesus. Now, pause there for a moment. Some of you know the rest of the story. But if you didn't know the rest of the story, you might make this assumption. Why in the world would they go find Jesus? Maybe they would go find Jesus because this is a miracle that I know many of you in church have read this miracle, the feeding of 5,000, over and over and over again. And if you're old like me, you've even seen it on a flannel graph board. How many of you remember what flannel graph is? You've seen it on the flannel graph board, and we've tried it. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. But can you put yourself 2,000 years ago, and can you be a spectator just for a moment and go, how awesome would it have been to see Jesus keep tearing fish, and the fish never, gets, never goes away? Would that not have been incredible? 
And this is one of those miracles that I look at, this one and like the resurrection of Lazarus, I look at and go, man, I would love to have been there. I would love to have seen this. So why would they go see Jesus? Maybe because they go, listen, what this guy did was impossible. What this guy did was miraculous. And maybe they kind of came to this conclusion with what this guy did. Maybe I want to pursue him. Maybe I want to find out more about him. I mean, so if you don't know the rest of the story, you might be left with this conclusion. Maybe they want to seek out Jesus because there's something different about this guy, and I want to know more. But look what Scripture says. Scripture tells us why they followed Jesus. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Now, here's where we see the heart of a fan of Jesus. These people were not moved because their heart was full, because they saw the Messiah do something that blew their mind, and they wanted more of him. Remember last week when I talked about delighting in the law of the Lord? The more you get, the more you want. The more you want. The more you get, the more you want, right? The more I get into God's word, the more that I want. And they didn't, their hearts weren't moved because of what Jesus, this miracle he'd done. They weren't moved because their hearts were full, because there's something different about this man that we want to be part of. Their hearts were moved because their bellies had been filled. Did you hear me? Their hearts were moved not because of what they experienced, this miracle that this this must be something different about this guy. They were moved because he had fed them. Think about this. Their pursuit of Jesus had nothing to do with who he was but had everything to do with what he did for them. I'm going to say it again because I want you to know this. Their pursuit of Jesus had nothing to do with who he was, but what they had done for him. Guess what? It's morning. They're hungry. Hey, Jesus fed us last night. Maybe he's got pancakes today. Let's go find out, right? It had nothing to do with who he was, maybe in the Son of God, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. No, no, it had everything to do with what is Jesus going to do for me. And because of their selfish attitude, they missed the significance of the story. They missed, you think Jesus did miracles just to do miracles? Or was there always a point? Always a point. Always pointing them somewhere. And see, what you've got here at the heart of a fan is someone who only pursues Jesus because of what he can do for them. Just a quick thought. Does that sound at all like you? When you think about your walk with the Lord, you think about your connection with God, you think about the times that you pray, what does that prayer life look like? And I'll just be honest, sometimes my prayer life is like a long laundry list of things I need, things I want, things I would like you to do. Anybody else like that? Nobody else? Anybody else like that? Yeah, I mean, as you think about it, what sometimes we fall into is the same thing these folks fell into, this notion that, okay, God, I'm going to pray, and our connection with you, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to tell you what I need, what I want, and what I desire, and I expect, and I feel like you're obligated to meet what I want. See, for some of us in the room, we're fans, 
Now, you can be a follower and wrestle with being a fan sometimes, so don't get me wrong. We wrestle with that, but the reality is fans have this heart that all they care about is what can the Lord do for me. It's not about what I can do for him. It's not about the difference I can make for him. It's not about the difference I can make for the kingdom. It's all about what can he do for me. And when we act that way, listen, we miss the beauty of what he wants to do in and through us just like them. Now, I love Jesus, because if I was Jesus, I'd be like, you know what, I'm done with all of you, right? Wouldn't you too? I mean, if they missed it, and he did this great miracle, would you write these people off? Come on, would you write them off? Come on, would you write them off, yes or no? Most of us would go, well, I'm not doing this. I mean, look, I just fed you, and you saw what I had. I had two fish. I had five loaves. I fed all of you, and you missed the point. Okay, I'm moving on. But Jesus doesn't. In fact, in the next 23 verses, which we will not read, you can go back and read later, later, from verse 27 to verse 50, Jesus reminds them of the significance of what they just experienced. Jesus talks a lot about bread. And he says things like this, like, you know what? Your forefathers experienced bread from heaven too. It was called manna that came down from heaven. And that didn't come from Moses. That came from your heavenly father. But I want you to know that I am the true bread of heaven. So Jesus was explaining to them the significance of what they saw, that what you saw wasn't just me perform this miracle and give you bread and fish. No, no, you saw something that identified and declared who I am, and you missed it. And then Jesus lays down the line here. He draws a line in the sand, and look what he says in verse 51 through 58. He says this, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the living bread, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for you is the, of the life of the word is my flesh. Now at that point, he's made this profound statement that I am the bread of life. He's alluding to something. We'll come back to it in a moment. But then he says some things that totally brings chaos on these folks. Look what he says in verse 52. Then the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live how long? Forever. Can you think of another story that sounds a lot like this? How about when Jesus was at, with the woman at the well? Right? He says, listen, by the way, I can give you water where you thirst no more. And so Jesus has come to this group of people. These people have followed him, right? And they basically said, listen, here's our hearts. We're fans of you, Jesus. But all they care about is what Jesus can do for them. And Jesus basically says, you've missed it. You've missed this great miracle. was a picture of me declaring in a most powerful way who I am. And you've missed it. So let me be crystal clear. You have a hunger that's going on in you that has nothing to do with physical hunger. There's a spiritual hunger that you have. And I'm the only one who can satisfy your spiritual hunger. It's me. And it's only me. See, you're only worried about food for your bellies. 
I'm worried about food for your soul. You're caring about, caring about temporary things. I care about eternal things and your eternal life. And so Jesus says it plainly. If you want to have eternal life, here's where it happens. It happens with my flesh and my blood. Now, I know here Jesus talks about unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And listen, if you were to go back and study, some of the early theologians wrestled with this passage because it sounds a little cannibalistic, doesn't it? But we know that Jesus wasn't talking about literally eating his flesh or literally drinking his blood. What he was talking about is there's a sacrifice that I'm going to make where my body is going to be beaten and bruised and my blood is going to be shed. And if you want eternal life, you've got to buy in to that sacrifice that I'm going to make for you. And only if you buy into that sacrifice can you move from a fan of me to a follower of me. Listen, this is one of the most powerful moments in all of the ministry of Jesus. He takes these people who are only in it because of what Jesus can do for them, and he clarifies, listen, what you saw was a demonstration of who I am. And I want you to know that you have a hunger, but it goes well beyond your physical hunger. You've got a spiritual hunger, and you don't even know it. But I'm the only one that can satisfy that. You're worried about filling your belly. I'm worried about your soul. And only if you put your faith in me and buy into the sacrifice I'm going to make for you will you ever have eternal life. Now, in this moment, these people have a choice to make. Do I buy in or do I not? Now, you may not know the rest of the story, so let me ask you a question. If you're these people, and you have misunderstood, and missed the significance, and Jesus spent all this time clarifying what he's done, why he's doing it, and what it takes to have eternal life, would you look at him going, okay, I missed it, I'm in, I'm on board, I'm sorry, let's do this thing right. Wouldn't you kind of feel that way? Listen to maybe one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, verse 66. After this, after he spoke about it, after they were confused, after this, many of his disciples, what? Come on, read it with me. What? Turned back and no longer walked with him. Wow. There used to be a preacher that I would listen to that's kind of falling off the wagon spiritually, but... He said something one time, I went to a conference, and it really impacted me. He said, if my church was right next door to Jesus' church, my church would be bigger. Maybe that should have been the first sign that he was going to fall off the wagon. But he said that, and what was his point was this, is the commitment that Jesus called people to is far superior than the commitment that I call people to. And what we find out in this passage is that these people, Jesus says, you've got a choice to make. Man, if you want to be my followers and not just my fans, man, this is what it's going to take. You've missed it, but I'm correcting your thinking. And if you want to be part of this, you can. And it says that, that many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They said, peace out. I'm gone. See, the reality is these people were just fans. Now, let me tell you about fans for this moment. Fans always walk away. They do. People that are just enthusiastic admirers of Jesus, they always walk away when things get tough. 
right? Because when things get tough, they pray and they give God their wish list. They treat God as a vending machine that I've prayed and I've asked for this. I want this. I need this. I push the button and I expect you to respond exactly how I've prayed. And we treat God as a vending machine. And people that are only fans of Jesus will always walk away when life gets tough because they don't get their way. And remember, if you're the heart of a fan is someone's only in it for what Jesus can do for who? Them, right? Fans always walk away when life gets tough. Fans always walk away when real commitment is asked of them. Hear me on this. Fans always walk away when real commitment is asked of them. You know how I knew that young man was just a fan and not really, he was a, more of a spectator than a player? Is when I asked for a real commitment to him and he said, here's my commitment. I'm staying over here, right? Listen, when I read scripture, there are so many stories but one in particular, Jesus has a moment where three people come to him and say, I want to follow you. And Jesus is able to decide, are you a fan of me? Or are you a follower? So this one guy says, hey, man, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, great. Foxes have holes. Birds there have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So if you're going to follow me, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be untimely. And you're going to be uncomfortable. Are you in? And we have nothing for him. He walked away. Another guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to go wherever you want to go. And he said, but listen, I need to go bury my dead father, meaning my dad's about to die. Let me go bury him, collect inheritance in Jesus. Then I'm all in for you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, if you're going to follow me, it's not about tomorrow. It's about right now. And then a final guy came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me first go tell my family goodbye. I mean, how many of you go on a trip and you tell your family goodbye before you leave, right? We all do that. And Jesus says, no man who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is fit to be a disciple in my kingdom. Now think about that. Over and over and over again, we have people who come to Jesus and say, I want to follow you. But when Jesus lays down the commitment, what do they do? Walk away. Maybe some of you have done that. See, fans always walk away when a commitment is required. And fans also always walk away when they're asked to put self on the sidelines. When you're asked to put your selfish desires, wants, and all that on the sidelines and rather pick up what God wants for you, that's when fans always walk away. Hear me on this. Fans walk away because they're fans, not followers. If you're with me in that church, say amen. amen. Fans always walk away because they're fans. They're not followers. And then Jesus does something fascinating here. Look at me in verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? So Jesus, after all these people leave, Jesus turns and looks to his disciples and says, are you going to go too? In other words, are you a fan of me? Think it's all about what I can do for you? Are you someone who's going to run when things get difficult? Are you someone who's going to run when commitment comes your way? Are you someone that's going to run when you get to that place where you're like, hey, my selfish desires have got to be silent? Are you going to go with them? And then we see the rest of the story. And it's at this point we see not the heart of the fan anymore. We see the heart of the follower. Look with me in verse 68. And of course, it's Simon speaking, Simon Peter and he answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy 
one of God. I mean, think about it. Here's what Peter says. Are you guys going to go? And, and Peter steps up with the heart of a follower. He's where he says, Jesus, it's just you, man. You are the giver of eternal life. Jesus, we believe in you. And Jesus, we trust you with our lives. And Jesus, we are totally committed to you. So when they were asked the question, do you want to be a fan or a follower? Their answer, Peter's answer for the group. Peter often spoke for the group, right? He spoke for the group and said, man, you're it. We believe in you. We trust you with our lives. And we are committed. Now, is this something that we see in their lives, throughout their lives as disciples? Sure. Do you remember how Pete, Jesus called Peter? What was Peter doing? What was Peter doing when he, Jesus called him? He was fishing, where some of you wish you were right now. He was fishing, right? He was fishing. And he says, hey, listen, Peter, drop your nets and come follow me. Did Peter say, wait a minute, these nets are super expensive. I need to take a moment. I need to roll them up correctly. I need to hand them off to somebody to take care of them because one day I might come back to this. So Jesus, I mean, just let me, give me a moment. And, no, no, it says he dropped the nets and what did he do? And he followed Jesus. Did Jesus commit, did Peter commit at that point? Yeah, he was all in. And right here, Peter voices that I'm all in. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have the heart of a follower or do you have a heart of a fan? Do you have a heart this morning that says, man, Jesus, you're it. I believe in you. I trust you with my lives and I am fully committed to you. Are you that person that goes, no, 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 I'm more like a fan. Jesus, I, I, I'm an admirer of all that you've done. I'm an admirer of all that you can do, but really I'm only in it to get out of it what you can do for me. Three takeaways I want you to write down this morning. Here's the first one, and I want you to think about them this week. Here's number one. Fans have made a decision about Jesus, but not a commitment to Jesus. Fans have all made a decision about him. Maybe he is the son of God, but they've not made a commitment to Jesus. One that requires surrender of my life. Second takeaway is this. Fans have a knowledge of Jesus, but not a relationship with Jesus. They know about him, they know what he's done, but there's never been a moment they surrendered their life to Christ. That's fans for us. But here's the takeaway about followers. Followers have made a commitment to Jesus, are in a relationship with Jesus, and are going to live for him, not for themselves. Now let's just leave this up on the screen for a moment. Which one best describes you? Just think about it for a moment. Which one of these two? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, do we wrestle with fan tendencies? Sure we do. But now I'm talking about the complete structure of your life. Are you in the category of a fan? Are you in the category of truly being a follower of Christ? Are you just an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus who's in it for what he can do for you and you run the first sign of difficulty? Are you a follower who says, no, 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 I believe in Jesus. I trust him. I am all in. Because here's my prayer. If you're a fan this morning, my prayer is that you would move from a decision about Jesus and make a commitment to Jesus. That you would say, okay, I've decided that I think you're pretty awesome. I've decided that you've done so many miracles, but today I'm going to surrender my life to you as my boss and master. My prayer for you if you're a fan is that you would move from just a knowledge of Jesus to a relationship, that you would take the knowledge you would have here, and as you've heard it said many times before, that you would let it travel 18 inches 
to right here. And then you would say yes to Christ. And then my prayer is if you're a follower of Jesus, if you say, man, I'm committed, I'm bought in, I am all in, my prayer for you is this, is would you look at your life and would you say, okay, am I really playing in the game of life? Have I really jerseyed up? Am I really out there making sure that I'm a mouthpiece for the kingdom of God? Am I out there on the field giving Jesus all that I've got in every turn and every situation, doing all I can to bring honor and glory to his name? Or am I just going through the motions? Anybody ever have a teammate in practice? You run a play and they would just kind of halfway do it and the running back will get slaughtered. Anybody know somebody like that? Anybody miss your hands? If not, you're the person we're talking about, right? You're the slackers. Some of us know people that just went through the motions. Or some of you spiritually, you've let life, hear me, you've let life sideline you. You let difficulties in life put you on the bench. And then you want to get in the game, but that's where pain is. That's where hurt is. That's where remembering what got me over here to begin with. I mean, I have been injured before. I've gone through pain and some of you, maybe you've really been injured in life. Maybe you've really, I mean, you've gone through some stuff. Listen, there's a time the trainer, the Holy Spirit, needs to address you on the sidelines. He needs to kind of build you up and kind of work with you and, and help you. But there's a time where they tape the ankle up and they say, get back in the game. And if you say that you're truly a follower of Christ, my question is, are you really in the game fighting and playing hard for the name of Jesus? Are you going through the motions? Are you letting life sideline you? And you know how we do that? We do it by making excuses, right? Anybody good at excuses? All of us, right? Would you drop the excuses today? And if you're a follower of Christ, would you just say, Lord, I got the jersey. I've been in the game, but I've been hurt. I've been injured. I've been confused. But I'm tired of going through the motions of my faith. I'm tired of being sidelined. I want to be a mouthpiece for the living God. I want people, when they rub shoulders with me, to know that I belong to you. I want my life, my words, my actions, and my behavior to point people to you, King Jesus. And maybe if you're a follower, you need to make that commitment this morning. And if you need to, this altar is going to be open for you. We're going to have people on both sides that would love to pray with you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, don't look at this message and go, yeah, I'm a follower. I'm good. No, no, no. Some of us have been sidelined. Some of us have been going through the emotions in our faith, and it's time to make a change. So right now, I'm going to ask you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's all stand together. <coughs> every head bowed and every eye closed. And I just want to ask you a question this morning. Nobody looking around. Maybe this morning you say, you know what, Doug? Not that I'm a follower who wrestles with being a fan, but I'm truly just a fan. I'm someone who has made some decisions about Jesus, but I've never committed my life to him. I'm someone who knows about Jesus, but I've never entered a relationship with him. And today, I want to surrender my life to him and know that I'm a child of God. If that's you this morning, with nobody look around, would you just slip your hand up and right back down? I want to be praying for you. We want to encourage in that decision. If, you, if that's you, just slip it up and put it right back down. Nobody's looking around. Amen. But if you're a follower of Jesus, could you be honest this morning and say, man, I want to be all in. I want to be totally committed. But sometimes I let life sideline me. Sometimes in my faith, I just go through the motions. 
And today I want to turn that around. If that's you this morning, would you just put your hand up and right back down? You're that Christian, that follower, just going through the motions. You've been sidelined, but no more. Father God, we love you. <clears throat> thank you for today. I thank you for those that had the courage to say, that's me. I'm, I'm a fan. Not proud of it. But when I read, heard the scripture today, I, I'm just like those people. My connection with you has all been about what's in it for me. And that's not a heart of a follower. That's the heart of an admirer. And God, I pray for those people that they, as they recognize that, that today that they would surrender their life to you, Jesus. But God, I also pray for our followers today. I know that it is easy to let life sideline us. Many of our folks have been through some stuff. They've experienced some difficulties. They've been injured on the field. But God, I pray today that we would just cry out to you, that we would just commit to you, that we are no longer <clears throat> just going to go through the motions. We no longer are going to stay on the sidelines, that we want our life, our actions, our behaviors to reflect and to point people to you, that we want to get on the field and we want to play the game. And we want to give it everything that we have. So God, I pray for believers today that we can make those kind of commitments. God, would you speak to us today? Would you move in our hearts this morning? We love you, Lord. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Listen, if you just need to pray this morning, maybe you got some stuff going on, and you just want to get before God, this altar is open. Our Pat and Willie can pray with you, and Jason and Kelly over there, they can pray with you. But just, just hear my heart this morning. One of my favorite songs when I was about 11 years old I played it before every baseball game. It was, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. Anybody remember that song? Would you just say that to your Heavenly Father this morning? Maybe you say it better. Say it like Isaiah said it. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I don't want to just have the jersey look good, because I do look good. I don't want to just look good. I need to get in the game. Why? Because there's lives that are at stake. There's eternities at stake if I don't get in the game and make a difference for your name and for your kingdom. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, would you choose to get off the dadgum sidelines and get in the game? So if you need to pray, this altar's open. Whatever commitment you need to make today, would you be faithful to respond as the Holy Spirit is nudging you this morning as we continue to sing?